I'm guessing um, that few, if any of you, have seen me in my glasses before. Um, these aren't new. Uh, I've had glasses for about mm, 10, 12 years. I can't remember exactly how long, but I, I hardly ever wear them. They are prescription. They don't just make me look cool. I know that was your first thought. Um, <laughs> kind of hurtful that you laughed. <clears throat> Uh, I, I got these glasses actually um, when I was in Virginia because I went to get my driver's license renewed and I failed the vision test. You know where you got the big E and then some other letters that I couldn't read? Yeah. Uh, so it turns out they said, no, sorry, Jim, you can't get your license unless you uh, get some kind of glasses. So I had to go and get glasses, came back, passed the test. Uh, and then um, I wore them at least for driving for about four or five years. Then something amazing happened to me. I moved to Wisconsin. And when I moved to Wisconsin, I got my Wisconsin driver's license, had to retake that vision test. And uh, the lady behind the desk said, hey, before you do it with your glasses on, just try it once without your glasses and see how it goes. And I don't know if it was the cold that shrank my eyes into shape or if it was, you know, just the, the cheese in the air or the Green Bay Packers, but something fixed my eyes, and I passed the vision test without my glasses. It was glorious. Uh, and so I, I quite literally that day took these off, and I folded them up, and I put them on a shelf, and I don't know when the last time was I touched them since then. Uh, so this week, just for fun, um, I went and I, I found my glasses, and I put them on, and it's like I have a superpower. <laughs> I was standing in the living room, and I could read the names of books like from a distance away. In fact, it's, it's changing. I might wear them every Sunday. It changes completely my experience of being in worship because I can tell now which of you are sleeping and which ones aren't. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of depressing. I'm going to take those off. Okay. Um, so I, I, I mentioned this because this idea of glasses is really important for us. We are working our way through this spiritual growth map. We've talked about four of our five components of what it means to grow in our relationship with God. We've talked about experiences of God. We've talked about relationships with God and other people. We've talked about biblical knowledge, and we've talked about spiritual habits. Today, we're going to end this series talking about worldview. And, and worldview is a lot like a set of lenses that we wear that, that shape how we see the world, right? Um, when they're on, Everything that we encounter, every one that we encounter is filtered through that worldview, through that um, understanding of who we are and who God's called us to be. Uh, and so I, I think one of the critical components of our spiritual growth is that we need to develop a worldview that's centered in Jesus Christ so that whatever we do gets filtered through the person and the story and the life of Jesus. Uh, in your bulletin, there is a little handout. Um, if you just pull it out for a second, every week we've had these, it looks like this. And it, and it talks a little bit about um, some of the ideas related to worldview that we hope our kids and our adults and everyone will learn. Just for a moment, just look at the high school section, okay? The, the last section on your little handout there. Uh, and the first one is just what I just said. We want people to process the world through a spiritual, Christ-centered lens. But then we get kind of specific, right, about what that looks like. We want people to have a vocational connection to their faith. What does that mean? It means when I look at my job and what I do nine to five, I do that through the lens of my Christian faith, right? Through the worldview of Jesus. We want people to think about um, their technology through the lens 
of their Christian faith, their sexuality through their lens of their Christian faith. We want people to think about how they uh, interact with others having a servant and missional mindset, right? It's all about this idea that everything and everyone I encounter is encountered through the story of Jesus, that I see everything through Him. This idea of, of, a, of a Christian worldview or of a Christian lens through which we see everything is, is foundational not just in our lives. Um, we see it throughout Scripture, and we see it particularly in the life of Jesus. Uh, and, and I think there may be no more powerful moment where we see the worldview of Christ, the lens of Christ, than when He's hanging on the cross. So in this moment... Um, Jesus is in agony. Right? Now, the, the, the pain of the cross um, was understood to be so horrific, they actually had to invent new words to describe it. You know the word excruciating? Right? Excruciating literally means out of the cross because right? there was no regular word for pain that could capture just how horrible that physical suffering was. And then for Jesus, there's more than just the physical suffering because He is bearing the weight of all of the sins of humanity in that moment. Uh, and so if there was ever a time where Jesus might just say, hey, you know what, I, I can't focus on everybody else right now. I can't be about the work of God. I just got to grin and bear it and get through this. This is the moment. But did you notice what Jesus says and does on the cross in the Gospel of Luke? As the people are murdering him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As one of the thieves who's being killed next to him turns and says, hey, Jesus, don't forget about me, he says, you know what? Uh, I'm, as I am dying, I am so excited to welcome you into the kingdom of my God. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's almost like this lens through which Jesus views the world, which for Jesus is the kingdom of God, right? The, the lens through which He views the world has become so much a part of Him that He can't take it off, right? That even in the worst moment of His life, even in the most difficult, um, painful circumstance we can imagine, Jesus is still seeing everyone and everything through the lens of this, this kingdom of God He has come to establish. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And He's doing that on the cross. Uh, this idea um, that we are, like Jesus, called to have a worldview that shapes our whole life, even in the most difficult and in the most ordinary circumstances, is really critical for us. So I want to think about two ways that we struggle to do that. And then I want to tell two stories that... Um, help us understand how to get where we want to be. So, two ways we struggle to, to keep that lens on. Uh, the first is really quite simple. It is sometimes kind of convenient to take our glasses off, right? Um, and for me, it was convenient to take them off for about six years when I passed that dumb test. Uh, but, but sometimes we do it in, in a more simple way, right? Uh, geez, I, I know that that person on the side of the road um, with that sign that says, hey, I need help. Uh, I know maybe if it was Jesus, he might stop and, and maybe give him some money or go buy him some food and bring it back. But uh, it's more convenient for me. I'm kind of in a hurry. More convenient if I just take my glasses off. I don't have to see that person that way for now. I can just get on with my day. Um, and then when it's good, I'll, I'll put my glasses back on. 
you know, I, I know when I'm at church on Sunday or, or throughout the weekend, I really want to have my spiritual glasses on, but then 9 to 5 on Monday, I, I just put those aside so I can just do my job, right? It's hard to do my job if I'm always trying to think about what Jesus wants. Uh, I like to go out um, with the guys on Friday night and um, have some beers, and it's just not a convenient time to bring my glasses. Uh, and, and there are so many places where we say, hey, you know what, it's just, just easier for me if I just lay those aside uh, and I just go off and, and enjoy my life, and then when I need them, I'll come back for them. And I think the challenge in the Christian faith is to say, uh, I don't want to fly blind. I don't want to drive uh, where I can't see. I don't want to look at myself in the mirror and not recognize the person. Uh, I, I got to find a way to involve my life in the story of God so consistently, so um, repetitively, that, that I never take these off, right? That they are part of everything I do and everyone I see. Um, that's the beautiful language we get from Psalm 119, right? That's what the psalmist has, has managed to do. The psalmist says um, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path, right? Like I, C.S. Lewis says, I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but because by its light I see everything else. And this is the idea, right? That, that it's not just that I believe that my glasses are on, um, it's that through them I see everything else, right? Through the story of Jesus, I see every other person, uh, and there is unbelievable power in saying, boy, I would like to live in such a way that these glasses never come off. Uh, so, really simple. I mean, it's easy for me to say, hey, I'll take these off when it's convenient. Um, the other challenge that we sometimes have is um, sometimes our prescription is wrong. Uh, these are 12-year-old glasses. And even though it's like a magic power that I can see all your faces way better now, I'm starting to get a headache. <laughs> and that's because the prescription isn't quite right anymore, right? Uh, and and it's really easy for us to get a set of lenses that distort rather than enhance the way we see the world, or that distort rather than enhance how we um, see ourselves. Uh, I came across, uh, I'm going to take this off for a minute. Um, this isn't a spiritual thing, they're just bothering me. Um, I, I came across an podcast a couple of weeks ago um, on the Freakonomics podcast. It's an economist who uses um, uh, economics to study all kinds of random things in the world. And, and this particular uh, conversation was with an economist who had uh, looked at news reports about COVID-19. Really an interesting conversation. Uh, and in a nutshell, um, what this economist came to discover is that um, the national news media in our country um, was more negative than a, a whole bunch of other sources. Now, it makes, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of positive stories about COVID-19, right? Because it's a bad thing. I, I get that. Um, but this economist did a whole bunch of assessment work that's too complicated for me to understand or remember and came back and said, hey, something like 83, 84, 85% of national news media stories about COVID-19 are negative, and that's okay when things are bad, um, but you'd think as things get worse, the stories would get negative. As things got better, the stories would get better, right? Or um, when we're waiting for a vaccine, it'd be worse. When we have a vaccine, it'd be better. Um, but what they found is that the national news media sort of stayed negative all the time, about 85% of the time. And national news media, I mean the liberals and the conservatives, okay? Everybody. Um, they compared that with regional news. 
regional news stories on COVID-19 were negative about 60% of the time, which was actually about the same as um, their comparison to scientific journals. They also compared uh, our news media to international news, like the BBC and that sort of thing. They were negative about COVID about 55% of the time. And it was a striking difference. And and part of the recognition was that our national news media is profit-driven, right? In a very particular way, they're going to make money um, based on whether you want to watch their stuff and engage around their content. And they know, everybody knows, that, that if it bleeds, it leads, uh, that negative news catches us more. And so they are invested, and again, they is Fox and CNN and MSNBC and all the other acronyms, uh, they are invested in, in the negative stuff, right? And here's what happens if you just hit negative news. By the way, this isn't just true about the virus. It's true about politics particularly. A lot of studies have been done about how negative our political um, news is, especially on the national level, how uh, 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 an article about a candidate that you don't like, you're more likely to read than an article about a candidate you do like. Here's what happens with all that negativity, right? It begins to affect how you see the world. And everything becomes negative. Uh, And you end up with a prescription that starts giving you a headache, (laughs) right? Uh, That starts distorting, not enhancing how you see the world. Uh, By the way, this happens on a spiritual level uh, in all kinds of other ways. We can distort who we think God is. We can say, boy, uh, I look at the world and I think that God is this angry judge that's just out to get us. Or I can say, boy, I I think God is just kind of okay with whatever you want to do. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. God doesn't care. God likes you as you are. Or we can say, boy, I think that if you're a Christian, you're a prosperity gospel, you're, you're going to get everything you ever wanted just by giving your life to Jesus. And all of those are just bad lenses, right? They, they distort, not enhance how we see the world. Uh, and so um, I, I think one of the critical tasks of the Christian life is to figure out how we get our glasses on and get them right. Uh, how do we get the right prescription Uh, And how do we make sure that we get the right habit of wearing them so that we can engage in the world the same way that Jesus did, right? Through the lens of the kingdom of God. This whole conversation the last five weeks has been about um, that work of building our lenses. Uh, So uh, the way that you get good lenses is experiences of God and relationships with people and with Christ and biblical knowledge and spiritual habits. And all of those, over time, build in you an ability to see the world the way Jesus saw it. Two quick stories um, that help us on that path. Um, There's a weird moment in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is in Bethsaida, and the people bring him a blind man. And the blind man comes up, and Jesus takes him away from the crowd and, and he, he spits on his hands, and he rubs the saliva on the man's eyes. Again, uh, okay, Jesus wouldn't do this during COVID, I don't think, but um, rubs the saliva on the man's eyes, and, and the man says, um, oh, I can see something. Jesus says, what do you see? He says, I think I can see people, but they look like trees moving. And then Jesus rubs the guy's eyes a second time, and then the guy can see clearly. It's such a weird story, right? Why does it take Jesus two tries to heal this guy? Is like the miracle juice not working that morning? Uh, is is, is the, the blindness like stronger than God? He has to, no, Jesus is teaching even as he's healing. 
And what he's teaching us is that you have to keep coming back to him to get the vision of the world as it really is. It's not enough to just dip into Jesus once in a while, right? Every, every few weeks I say a prayer and, and that's probably good. No, you've got to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. If you want to see the world as Jesus saw it, you've got to be with Jesus all the time. Uh, and, and the process of, of getting that lens just right doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a lifelong pursuit to have a worldview that, um, that is like the worldview of Christ. One other favorite story from Scripture um, for me comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 is uh, a story about Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. Uh, and in, in this particular part of the Bible, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is at war with what we would call Syria today, but they called it Aram, okay? Um, and the Arameans have a larger army, and they are often just um, causing trouble. And so uh, Elisha begins uh, to warn the king of Israel when the Arameans are coming. So the Arameans will set a trap, and then God will tell the prophet, and the prophet will tell the king, and the king will say, hey, army, don't go over there. And it becomes so pronounced that the king of Aram says, what is going on? Who is the traitor that keeps warning our enemies that our armies are coming? And, and finally, the, the, the people get up courage say, you know, oh, king of Aram, it's, it's not a traitor in our midst. There is a prophet in Israel. And, and there God speaks to him and he warns them when we're coming. And so uh, the king of Aram says, well, let's get that guy. So he sends his entire army to capture one dude, Elisha. Uh, and, and there's this bit in, in chapter 6 where they surround the city where Elisha and his servant are hanging out. Uh, and uh, chapter 6, verse 15, when an attendant of the man of God, the man of God being Elisha, uh, arose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant, like you do, he freaks out, right? I mean, he just totally panics. And Elisha says, Calm down, calm down. There's more with us than there are with them. And he says this great prayer. Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So uh, this servant is looking out the world, uh, and he's just kind of looking like a normal guy. And, and Elijah says, God, please give him the ability to see the world as I see it and you see it. And all of a sudden, he sees not just the army of the human Arameans, but the massive army of God surrounding them. And then Elisha says, okay, watch this. This is going to be cool. And he, he says, Lord, please strike their army blind. And the whole army of the Arameans goes blind. And Elijah walks up and he says, hey guys, this isn't the right spot. This isn't the right city. Come on, I'll show you where you want to go. And they all follow him. This blind army follows the prophet. They go to Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And they walk inside. Now remember, cities are like fortresses. Um, so they walk inside the city and they are, it's like literally shooting ducks in a barrel. Right? I mean, this is going to be the, the ultimate victory. They're going to wipe out the Arameans all because of this prophet. And, and so uh, Elisha prays. The Arameans receive their sight. They know they are just dead. Right? They are toast. And the king of Israel comes to Elijah and he says, we're ready to kill him. Can we kill him? Can we kill him? And Elisha says, 
no, I don't want you to kill him. I got a better idea. Why don't you set out some tables? Let's have a big feast and let's share a, a, a meal with them. And so he says, set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then let them go to their master. So the king of Israel prepared, prepared for them a great feast. After they ate and drank, he sent them on their way and they went to their master. And the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. See, it's, it's a worldview thing. It's not just that the servant has the ability to see the presence of God around him. It's that the king and the people of Israel begin to see those folks they thought as enemies are actually house guests, right? Are actually possibly brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He looks at those that are his enemies and he says, I don't want you to be my enemies. I want you to be my friends. I want you to be my family. He looks at those that are being crucified next to him and he says, because, because my whole life is consumed by this vision of the kingdom of God, um, what I want most as I'm dying is to get you guys who are dying to come be in God's kingdom with me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So this is our job, right? This is what spiritual growth looks like. It looks like coming back to Jesus again and again and again and asking Him to shape how we see ourselves, how we see God, and how we see everybody and everything else until we cannot see them except through the kingdom of God, except through the story of Jesus. I don't know um, where you need these lenses today, um, but I want to encourage you to think about um, those places where perhaps you've taken them off where they need to be put back on, or those places where perhaps you've been given a bad prescription about who God is or who you are or who other people are. And I want to ask you uh, to open your eyes to the incredible possibility of what might happen if the whole people of God see the world as Jesus sees it. Um, if we become a people who are so committed to the victory uh, of the kingdom of God that we get into experiences and relationships and biblical, habits, uh, biblical knowledge and spiritual habits until they become almost inseparable for us. Maybe this is the prayer that we need to hear today. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may see. Thanks be to Him. Amen.